Welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library. Three games at a time. We play them briefly. We judge them harshly. We rank them. That is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. All right, folks. We've, we've got three games ready to go for you today. Um... I, you know, these are not amazing. In fact, some of them are pretty bad. Uh, we're right at the end of March 1993 now. And, uh, you know, uh, this is literally the dregs of March. You know, it's uh, we've we've drunk the cup all the way down to the bottom. And now we've we've just got the little particles and the the bits left over just sort of in the, the bottom of the cup. And um, that's kind of, in a way, what these games are. I will say, like, with the exception of Star Fox, I don't think there's really been anything amazing about March 1993. I agree. It's been kind of a rough month, for sure. This is a, a pretty on-brand way to finish it out. Games that kind of vary between mediocre and just bad, I think. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that, though, uh, in a little bit. But yeah, these are more or less the last three games from March. I believe we also have a football game that is that is from March that we are going to uh, is going to trigger another Snescapade sports desk episode. But for now, uh, this is this is the last three non-sports games from the month. Yeah, though a lot of military stuff, which seems to bleed into American football way more than I am ever comfortable with. Yeah, it's very true. So, so no, shall we just uh, get right into it and start talking about these games? Let's do it. All right, we are going to start off with Super Strike Eagle from Microprose. We've got, you know, some thoughts about this game and what it tries to accomplish, uh, you know, that we'll get into in a bit. But uh, before we do that, uh, Steampunk Link, would you like to give us a rundown on who made this game and, and where it comes from? Oh, I will give you guys more than a rundown. Uh, We're going to do a deep dive into Microprose today. Uh, so that hopefully I will remember that I did this and never have to do it again. <laughs> we should keep a list of those. Yeah, yeah, I really should. Really should. If I was uh, if I was better prepared, maybe I would do that. But uh... it's a podcast. Who needs preparation? <laughs> That's right. We do this flying by the seat of our pants, folks. Uh, so anyway, um, here we go. Super Strike Eagle. It's a game about a plane who who wants to be the bestest plane there is, I imagine. Uh, this game comes to us from Microprose. Microprose was founded by Bill Steely and Sid Meier. The story of the company's founding is documented in a 1988 issue of Computer Gaming World, which uh, I found courtesy of cgwmuseum.org, in a charming blurb about Microprose employees finding an important artifact of the company's heritage and gifting it to the founders. That artifact being an arcade cabinet called Red Baron. So Sid and Bill met uh, through a shared interest in aviation while working for General Instrument in Baltimore. While on a company retreat at the MGM Grand in Vegas in the summer of 1982, the pair challenged each other to a few rounds of that arcade game, Red Baron. Strategic planner and former Air Force pilot Bill Steely was somewhat astonished that computer analyst Sid Meier was able to beat him. 
Meyer boasted that he was easily able to memorize the basic patterns and claimed he could make a better game in about a week. That prompted Bill to boast that he could easily sell that game if Sid were to make it. So the game took a little longer than Sid had expected to make, but two months later, he created Hellcat Ace, and Bill made good on his word, selling some copies of that game in his first business meeting with potential customers. The two apparently realized they had a pretty good thing going and left General Instrument to form Microprose later that year. Sid Meier would hit the ground running in 1982, creating a number of games under the Microprose label. Many of them were aviation-themed, like Spitfire Ace and Chopper Rescue, though he also produced a maze chase game called Floyd of the Jungle in that first year. All of them released for the Atari 8-bit family of computers, with some also getting ports to the Commodore 64 and IBM-compatible machines. Throughout the 80s, Microprose would continue to grow and release games mostly about flight, both of the military variety, like the F-15 series of games, of which the game we are talking about today is part of that series, and the more commercial variety, like 1985's Kennedy Approach, which was apparently just kind of more like a air traffic controller simulator, from what I understand, though I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that. Interesting. Okay. Uh, during this time, Sid was also branching into the military strategy genre with games like Conflict in Vietnam and Sword of the Samurai. 1990s saw Meyer create Railroad Tycoon, and the first Civilization game would come a year later. Civilization is a series that still bears his name to this day, the most recent installment having come out in 2016. While Meyer, who at this point was working as an independent contractor for Steely and Microprose, was having a moderate amount of success, Microprose was finding itself in a bit of a bind by the early 90s. Steely had wanted to get into the arcade business, and these efforts bore little fruit and a good amount of debt. To keep the company from going under, Steely reached out to Spectrum Holobyte, who agreed to buy the company in 1993. Uh, this would seem to be an ideal situation for Steely, who was friends with the Spectrum Holobyte president at the time, but the happy marriage wouldn't last, and Bill would depart a year later. In a September 1996 article in Next Generation magazine, Steely said, Spectrum Holobyte had a lot of cash and very few products. Microprose had a lot of products and no cash. It was a great marriage, but the company only needed one chairman, so I resigned. Meyer wouldn't keep working with that merged company much longer either. Uh, I'm not certain at this point if Meyer became an employee again or if the company... Uh, was still just having him as an independent contractor. But by 1996, uh, he was no longer doing any work for them at all. He would leave to form a new company called Fire Axis with a lot of other Microprose alums, uh, such as Jeff Briggs and Brian Reynolds. That company would continue making the Civilization games as well as the XCOM series. They were acquired by Take-Two Interactive in 2005. Fire Axis still has an interactive website, so it would seem the studio is still chugging along under Take-Two, mostly on the strength of those two franchises. I believe Meyer is still with 2K Games. He has been the recipient of almost every Lifetime Achievement Award for video games that exist and published a memoir last year. Uh, while Meyer was at Fire Axis, Steely had formed another company of his own called Interactive Magic. Now, uh, being Steely, whose totally normal hobbies include things like flying military aircraft that he owns, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the company mostly focused on military strategy and sim games. Um, that company, which is now called iEntertainment Network, also still has an active website, complete with auto-playing video and sound. Uh, they mostly focus Fine. on updates of their current products, which include the Warbird series, M4 Tank Brigade, and Bow Hunter. Steely is still the CEO of that company to this day, at least according to the website. 
Uh, as for Microprose itself, Spectrum Holobyte would eventually change its name to Microprose, nearly get purchased by GT Interactive in 1997, get purchased by Hasbro in 1998, and Hasbro Interactive would get purchased by Infogrames in 2001, which would eventually phase out the Microprose name altogether. However, in 2019, the name was purchased by military sim software maker David Leggetti, allowing the brand to live on as a purveyor of military-based combat games, if you're into that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff that I have no interest in, but it would seem that both the name Microprose and Sid Meier and Bill Steely are all doing well for themselves, so... Good for you guys. Yeah, good for them. So that is a nice exhaustive history of <laughs> Microprose and its two founders. Uh, I didn't like this game all that much. No, I didn't either. So to describe what this game is, uh, Super Strike Eagle is essentially a uh, flight sim fighter combat, fighter jet combat game. Uh, with, you know, kind of for the time, modern military hardware. Uh, it does feature a kind of cockpit view for the kind of skirmishes and, and engagements with other planes. It also has kind of a, a blown out map view for traveling between points of interest in the conflict zone that you're you're in and it has a top-down view for bombing runs and uh, i get what they were trying to do with this i you know it's it's not really that different from things that we've seen in in other places but i don't really think these parts of the game come together that well and i don't really think any of them are that well done or fun i didn't have a great time with this one personally yeah i think it looks all right um mm -hmm. the controls are fine but yeah, I just don't know if the Super Nintendo is really up to the task of creating a really good flight simulator. And just the fact that this is a military flight simulator means it is not my bag at all. I do not care for this stuff. I do not care to spend too much time figuring it all out. I mean, there's probably better games like this on PC. Although I will say this is not a port. Uh, this game, although it is um, a part of the larger F-15 strike games that came out on many systems. This one in particular was made from the ground up for the Super Nintendo and never came out on anything else. That's interesting, because it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, this has got to be a port, but it doesn't feel that different from games that we know are ports from other things. I will say, as a flight sim, this works better than, say, like, Wing Commander does. I think that it's absolutely true that doing these this kind of thing in an environment with, like, a blue sky uh, just works better for the, the degree of visual fidelity you can get out of the Super Nintendo. And I didn't have a ton of trouble actually engaging in the dogfights with other planes. I just didn't really enjoy... It. Well, okay, here's the thing. I actually did enjoy the cockpit segments pretty well, okay. but they are kind of constantly interrupted by the game pulling out to the map uh, when you get out of an encounter zone, and I didn't like the other part of this at all, like the bombing part. Uh, I thought the controls for that, which in those situations, you have this kind of top-down view of your your jet. Uh, it's this kind of very glossy-looking CG pre-rendered sprite of the plane that you can kind of move up and down to get it closer or further away from the ground. You have to target specific things on the ground, airfields and tanks and, and whatnot. And it just felt very awkward and like a bad fit. Like it felt like 
somebody had the idea to do this as part of the game, but they didn't really have, they never really cracked how to make this feel elegant or, or fun to play. particularly enjoy that there felt like very little in the way of choice in kind of what I was doing in any particular moment. It was just sort of like, okay, now it's time for this bit. Now it's time for this bit. I know that technically the plane was under my control during that time, but it also just felt like these things were kind of clutched together in a weird way that it probably would have been better if you could actively make the choice to switch between the different interfaces in this, I think. Or, you know, just had maybe a smoother transition or or something like that. I mean, I will say, like, this all connects together better than, say, something like Wings 2, Aces High. I mean, that's true. Wings 2 was essentially just, it felt like a bad minigame collection, and that's not how this feels here. Uh, To be clear in this, you are given sort of free run of a, a large sort of open map, and you are choosing where to go on that map. But uh, yeah, I just, I, th- I find found the transitions between the different parts of this game too jarring to be really enjoyable. Um, so where does this one go on the list? So, I mean, we've got Wings 2 is like our, our 10th worst game, I think, right now. And I think this belongs above that. Wing Commander's all the way up at 83. That's the other game that we've kind of name dropped here. Does this one go in the top 100? Would, would we put this above Wing Commander, you think? I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, I think those parts of it work better than Wing Commander. But I also think that I probably enjoy the weird sort of on-the-ship visual novel segments of Wing Commander more than I enjoyed, like, anything in this game. So Yeah, there's there's an element of role-playing to that game that would be really super uncomfortable, I think, in a game like this. I think I'd probably put this below Wing Commander, but how far below? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I kind of keep going down a little bit more and more. I'm looking at, like, Doomsday Warrior randomly right now at 102, which just became available on the Switch for some reason. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that they put that, for whatever reason, they put that out as, like, one of the Nintendo Switch online games. And it's like, really? Doomsday Warrior? You think anybody wants to play that right now? Like, you surely must have access to games that somebody wants more than that one. So, you know, a thing that actually I am thinking about here is James Bond Jr., which is also another game of parts. I think that both because of its genre and just because I don't find its aesthetic and its overall thing as as repellent as as this game, uh, James Bond Jr. probably does get the edge for me there, but... I don't think they're probably that different in terms of the the overall quality level. Well, I, mean, I would say that, like, I think that um, Super Strike Eagle was probably made with a lot more love than James Bond Jr. was. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Granted, it is like a, a, a love of military aviation, which I think is a strange thing, again, to, to kind of be that into. There was definitely, you know, a sort of care for what they were trying to do, like really believed in what they were trying to present to people. And James Bond Jr. is just a cheap licensed game. So, yeah, that's true. You would give the edge to James Bond Jr. I would probably give the edge to Super Strike Eagle, but I think I will go with your judgment on this one just because I don't know if I want to put like this militaristic 
thing in the top 100 right now. Just, yeah, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> that would mean James Bond Jr. slots in uh, still at 100. Uh, and actually, you know, you know what? You know what? Let's drop it below extra innings, too, at 101, now that I think about it. I have no real feelings about extra innings, but that probably means that it's in a better position than a game that I actively found pretty annoying to play uh, in this one. So, okay. Uh, So that will mean that uh, Super Strike Eagle goes in at our new 102nd spot, pushing Doomsday Warrior down to 103. All right. So, yeah. uh, Congratulations, Super Strike Eagle. It's, you know, if you're really into that sort of thing, I guess there are way worse ones of those. It's fine. I just, I I just, I feel like there's nothing good enough about it that I would recommend it, particularly to people that want that type of game. Probably one of the lesser works of, of, you know, somebody like Sid Meier who... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, I think. I don't know that I, I personally think this game really plays to his, his strengths as a as a designer that's all i gotta say about that one i guess yeah i i don't really have anything else to say either so i guess we're gonna move on to the next game super conflict by vic takai Given that I already dove pretty extensively into Microprose, I'm not going to go too deep into Victakai today, and I'm pretty sure we've talked about them in our episode about Imperium. Yes, I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, but uh, to make a long story short, they were the American sales division of Japanese telecom Victakai, which itself is a division of an even larger Japanese utilities conglomerate called the Takai Group. I'm not sure how much time we've actually devoted to them, but the name Victakai pops up in some really strange places. Uh, their output on the SNES seems to either be a game that's incredibly unexceptional or very noteworthy and just how unconventional it is when compared to the rest of the SNES library. For every Imperium, a competent and perhaps even likable shooter that the two of us always seem to forget completely every time it comes up in conversation on our list. Yeah. You get an SOS, a game that tasks you with surviving a shipwreck in a classic 2D platformer. So think Poseidon's Adventure by way of Super Mario Brothers. Um, So I've talked a lot about you know, my reservations with this game. I don't like military stuff. I am not a fan of hex-based strategy games. I'm I'm not really big on strategy games in general or just a little bit over my head. And yet, I kind of like this one. (laughs) So that's interesting to me because my reaction to this was just, I was actually pretty bored by this game. So this is a hex-based strategy game. Uh, You are given various tiles on it for different units that you have. Those can either be ground infantry or tanks. Uh, You move them around the map. You take different positions on it, uh, occupy cities or bridges. Uh, There are different elevations. And you attack the units, uh, which are all on like a hex-based grid. You attack the units of of your opponents. Uh, The goal is to wipe them out. Uh, Anytime you do attack the the, uh, opposing side, uh, you essentially get like a, a short sort of hands-off combat roll, basically, where, you know, essentially, it's essentially like a dice roll, basically, over how much damage you guys do to each other. And yeah, um, that that is more or less the, the game in, it, in, you know, any individual match. And I don't know, I just personally didn't find there to be 
much going on here. Maybe saying like is a little bit too strong for what I felt about this game, but I think that this game has some things going for it. It was simple enough for me to get into. I even won my first skirmish or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, I was just I was able to just get into the gameplay like after a few turns I was able to really figure out, okay, here's how this works. There's probably a lot of hidden complexity to it that I wasn't really getting because I didn't look up a guide or anything, but I, I felt like just, just on the face of it, it was really easy to pick up and play if you're into strategy games and don't like ones that are overly complex. This is a really simple one that's easy to get into. And, you know, on a system in which I've often criticized that, like, so many things are made into 2D platformers, like, as if game designers and, and studios just couldn't imagine a different way of interpreting their game world other than through a 2D plane. You know, here's a, a game that's doing that. This is something pretty different for the Super NES. So the strategy games that we have seen have been very abstracted in a way that this one isn't. So yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that's really commendable about this. I didn't get too deep into it. I, I only played like the first couple missions, so I don't know how much more complex this game gets. And like I said, I didn't research a guide or anything to really see like, okay, what is, you know, being in a mountain do when I am defending against, say, somebody who's uh, just on a plane uh, tile attacking me? Obviously, there's you know, some sort of thing that dictates, you know, how much damage they do or how likely it is that they're going to hit you, things like that. I would say this is by far the easiest military strategy game to pick up and play that we've seen on the system thus far, you know, outside of things like Populous, which is kind of a different beast altogether. It's definitely for a certain kind of gamer that is not me, but I, I was impressed that I was able to see so much right with it, despite the fact that it had so many things that I am typically super turned off by. Also, the fact that, you know, it is kind of hex-based and, and everything is sort of zoomed out. Like It's very abstracted versus something like Super Strike Eagle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it abstracts some of that away in a way that makes it less repellent to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this game could have been set in literally any kind of, of war setting, and it would have been virtually the same. Like, it doesn't really feel like this is trying to advertise for the military or any or anything. It's, it's just, this is the aesthetic they chose. And it doesn't really feel like it seeps into the game, apart from, like, on, on like a very superficial level. fine. Like, I agree, it's pretty easy to pick up and play, but at a certain point, I was just like, okay, I get what I'm doing here, let's just get on with it. And I didn't really enjoy the act of actually, like, playing out the whole turn. You know, I wished there had maybe been, like, a way to, like, speed that up or something once it was clear. Because for me, the thing was that, like, for whatever reason, whether it was just, like, not good AI, or maybe I got very lucky, but I knocked out like most of my uh, enemy's forces within the first like few rounds and then i was just kind of mopping it up for the mopping up what was left for the rest of it and i i was just like okay this is kind of this is it was interesting to kind of figure out how to play this game uh but it, it got tedious kind of quickly for me and you know like you said uh it is entirely possible this game gets more complex later on i do appreciate like you how straightforward the basic the basic you know uh loop of this game is 
and you know it was absolutely easy to pick up and play and i didn't i didn't feel my eyes kind of glazing over like i did with like basically every koei game whenever it came to you know moving my units around and everything so i i do definitely like that about it i do feel like this this kind of setup for a strategy game is probably a bit better suited to the console experience than a lot of the Koei stuff is. So I will absolutely give it that. I- I'm not super down on this game, despite what I said, d- despite how it probably sounded. I just felt like it got, like I said, sort of tedious to to actually play out the rest of the round, the, the rest of the match. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much to say about this. Like, the interface is very simple, very, very straightforward. And I don't think the graphics are great or anything, but I do think that, like, the the kind of animated sections when the your forces are kind of engaging with the enemies... Um, you know, are are pretty nice looking. You know, there's a, almost a little bit of kind of like a battle chess sort of feel to it. I guess I've kind of said everything I really have to say about my experience playing this game. I, I'm glad that you had like an actually positive uh, positive experience with it, and it makes me it makes me find it kind of feel like maybe uh, maybe I should give it like a second chance and you know try to get a little deeper into it. Make no mistake, I'm probably not going to go back to this one because, again, it it really isn't my genre. But I just liked that I have immediately got control of a cursor. I select a unit and it just says, hey, do you want to move this unit or do you want to fight something? It isn't more complicated than that. Because, like, if this were a Koei game, they would be like, hey, do you want to feed this unit? How much do you want to feed this unit? Do you want to do this? You you know, like, I would have a whole menu of things, like half of which I would have no idea what effect those things would have on the gameplay. Where here, it is all just so simple. I think this is a great game for people who just want a really simple strategy experience. Yeah, looking at the list, this one's a little bit tough. So I, I would say, like... I would put this above Super Strike Eagle, which we just ranked at number 102. I I think we can both agree on that, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Absolutely. We've got something like King Arthur's World, which we reviewed not too long ago at 98, which is also, you know, a kind of strategy-ish game that's different than the Koei stuff, that works better than the Koei stuff. But I think this works better than King Arthur's World. Yeah, I agree. I I had more fun playing this, and I think that just the control systems for this game work on like a fundamental level, they, they are, you know, better thought out than what King Arthur's world has. So I would definitely put this above that. Okay. We've also got Aerobiz up at 92. This is maybe like the one Koei simulation game that we maybe a bit much to say we enjoyed, but we kind of thought was more interesting and, and easier to get into than a lot of those Koei games have been. It, it's definitely been the more, the most successful one of those for us. So maybe this is an interesting one to have a conversation about. What what do you think? I might put this just below Aerobiz, partially because I do think that I found the basic loop of Aerobiz more interesting than this game, but also because I think that like aesthetically I enjoyed that more than this game. And not I'm not really even talking about like the military thing. I just think that like the the game board that you're presented with in Super Conflict is is kind of drab looking. Like I, I like the way that the battle sequences look, but most of the time when you're playing it, you're actually looking at that map. And I'm just not a huge fan of how that how that was presented. 
if we put it below Aerobiz, right behind Aerobiz, we have power moves at 93. What do you think of that matchup? I'd probably give Super Conflict the edge over power moves, just because I think that this is probably a better strategy game than power moves is a fighting game. Yeah, I I think I agree. It sounds like this is going to end up being our new 93. If you're good with that, yeah, uh, that's that's uh, that feels good to me. All right, so congratulations, Super Conflict. Breaching the top 100. Yeah, breaching the top 100. Um, very unexpectedly. Again, I really thought this would just be like one of my least favorite experiences on the system, and I ended up kind of enjoying myself. Nice. That's always a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I... I can't be upset about that. All right. Well, two down, one to go. We are we're done with all the military stuff. Woo. That's great. One game left. And uh, this one, I didn't know what to expect, but it kind of wasn't <laughs> what we got. This is the combat tribes. Combat tribes comes to us from Technos. Those are the or Technos. Not entirely sure how that's pronounced. Uh, these are the guys behind Double Dragon, and we, I, I th- believe we talked about them quite a bit when we covered Double Dragon 4, so uh, not going to go too deep into the history of Technos today. But uh, this game does sort of require a, a little bit of background, because this is, in a way, kind of a spiritual successor to an early brawler, maybe one of the first brawlers um, that Technos created, uh, 1986's arcade hit Renegade. Renegade was actually the first in the series of uh, Japanese games revolving around a street-tough kid named Kunio, which was called the Kunio-kun series in Japan, uh, who was often fighting off biker games to rescue damsels in distress and just generally getting himself into trouble. Uh, While high schoolers and even junior high kids getting mixed up in violent biker gangs was a pretty common trope in 80s Japanese media, it didn't ever seem to translate over here all that much. Uh, Whether U.S. game publishers just didn't think American youths could relate or feared the wrath of said youth's parents, the Kunio games were stripped of a lot of their context when brought over here. Probably also didn't help that the Kunio games would explore so many genres that context and continuity were sort of irrelevant. Uh, I mean, after all, did NES Dodgeball and River City Ransom fans need to know that there was a shared universe between those two games to have a good time with either of them? Probably not. Uh, But getting back to Renegade, you can see a lot of that game in Combat Tribes. Despite being a belt-scrolling brawler, all of the stages in both games are pretty short. Rather than sending players through long, ratchet-scrolling gauntlets, forcing players to stop in certain areas to fight a crowd of foot soldiers before letting them progress, like in Technos' Double Dragon, Renegade and Combat Tribes limit you to stages that only stretch over a few screens, but give you the freedom to move uh, among them forward and backward whenever you want. They almost feel like brawlers taking place in fighting game stages. The two games also share the gritty warriors vibe of fighting through large metropolises, metropoli? Occupied by themed gangs straight out of a comic book. In fact, given Double Dragon's own cribbing of warrior style, you really have to wonder if somebody at Technos was a diehard fan of that strange 1979 American film. Hey, maybe that guy was Yoshihisa Kishimoto, who not only created the first Kunio-kun and Double Dragon games, but was the director on Combat Tribes. He describes himself as the grandfather of the brawler genre, which is probably fair, but is usually something you kind of let other folks bestow upon you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I looked around his page a bit, uh, but my lack of Japanese comprehension kept me from finding out if he is a fan of the Warriors. Um, Google Translate did 
uh, tell me a little bit about him, maybe more than I wanted to know, because I found some messages in support of Donald Trump on his site. So, yeah, that's too bad. That's real. That's a real shame there. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing finding out that somebody behind a lot of stuff that you really enjoyed is uh, a bad person. You, you kind of can't be a Donald Trump supporter and be a good person. So, no, I mean, I, you know, maybe we can take comfort from the idea that, uh, you know, maybe he maybe he developed those views as an old man and. You know, he was okay when he was, like, 30 and making, uh, you know, the first Kunio Kun game. Well, in any case, um, yeah, he's a bad person, and uh, at least in this case, he made a pretty bad game. He did, yeah. Uh, The thing about Renegade is that I've never played Renegade. I know it's a it's a pretty well loved game. It's a pretty important game because it is kind of the the maybe the genesis of the brawler genre as we know it today and as we knew it in the you know in the nineties. But I kind of felt like Double Dragon was the sort of spiritual successor to Renegade in that it expanded on those ideas by creating larger worlds for people to fight their way through. I didn't really feel like we needed to go back to the Renegade formula, which this game takes us to. This just feels limited to me. Well, and also this game strips out some stuff that that was in, you know, games that preceded this, like, you know, Double Dragon. And actually, it strips out some things that that were in the arcade version of the Combat Tribes, like being able to pick up weapons and use them. Uh, In this game, you can't do that at all. You have three selectable characters who have kind of nominal differences between how they feel to control. You know, you have your, your heavier character who hits harder, your faster character who is, is not as strong, you know, that kind of thing. And you go through a series of stages that are each bookended by little tiny, like story sequences. You fight some goons in a a stage that's about two or three, two or three screens wide and then a boss appears and you fight them too. There is some strange stuff going on here. Like in the Super Nintendo version of this game, I believe they tell you that all the characters are cyborgs and not people. Yeah, that was a pretty common thing in games like this. I feel like to make the violence a little more okay, which, you know, not necessary, but, uh, you know, fair enough, I guess. There's also like this weird story going through it where... You're these mysterious combat tribes who are fighting their way through these gangs in New York City uh, looking for uh, the Ground Zero gang that they, as they say, while standing in front of the World Trade Center in a scene that's very weird to watch now. (laughs) Yeah, weird. Very weird. Yeah. And it turns out that the person that they're looking for is a woman named Martha uh, Q, why did you say that name joke here? <laughs> Sorry, I already did that at the beginning of the show. She is like super powered, I think. Like she came from a lab and maybe there's like this hint that they're all from the same lab. They actually, it, it seems like they almost get halfway to an interesting story. They just kind of drop it. Yeah. When, when you beat the game, Martha apparently dies, but they pick her up and they carry her away. And then they just say, no one knows what happened to him after that. They just disappeared, folks. Okay. 
Her full name, by the way, is is Martha Splatterhead, which is really good. I just <laughs> thought we should mention that. Uh, I wish the game had more of that, like, early 90s extreme, you know, capital X extreme radicalness, honestly. They should have kept that story going and it just made a spinoff starring Martha Splatterhead. issues with the way this game plays even even if you were to strip out the fact that like it is less compelling to just fight a bunch of goons spawning in on the same screens over and over again than it would be to move through a level i just think the way this game controls is it's kind of rough did you have trouble i had a lot of trouble personally with the second stage boss the guy who spits fire at you yes there was almost no way that i could find to uh, to close the distance between him and his fire attack that he would do constantly in order to hit him. Yeah, th- this was a huge problem for me. Yes. And it just feels wrong. Like it feels like somebody made a mistake when they were sort of figuring out the hitboxes here or something. It really feels like somebody forgot to add a jump button is what this game feels like. Yeah, that's that's true cuz it it does seem like you should be able to jump over that attack or like disable him in some way. In a a, a normal brawler game one where you did have disposable weapons you could pick up that would also solve this problem you could either use the weapon to extend your reach or throw something at them but there's no options here and it 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 really sucked i did beat that guy ultimately but it took using almost all of my continues to do it and Ultimately, the only way I could do it, honestly, was by exploiting the the invincibility you get from dying and coming back to disable the guy long enough to get some hits in on him. And that is absolutely not the way that should be. Like, I'm sure that's not the intended strategy. But yeah, it was literally the only way I could think of to, to make that happen. I was occasionally able to get in just by starting from a different plane and coming towards him diagonally. But even that wasn't a surefire way to avoid being hit. Occasionally, I was able to run in at him, but even that wasn't a foolproof plan either. By the way, did you know that there was a run option available? I I figured that out once I switched to the fast guy, um, but that didn't happen until I was a couple lives down. And yeah, actually, now that you mention it, I I did the same thing of like running at him and doing a kick to kind of pass through some of his sort of envelope, basically. I didn't know that for a while, though. I don't know. This whole game just feels very limited. I mean, even if they didn't have these problems where the game just feels incredibly uh, cheap and unfair, it's very slight. I I managed to make it to the final level, which starts a a boss rush thing. and like, oh, great. I get to fight these guys again. Wonderful. Yeah, right. Great. Also, of course, that level does have an elevator sequence because it, it is still a brawler. Yep, yeah. The sprite work in this game is not impressive at all. Everybody just looks like a really weird squat, beefy guy that skipped leg day. Yeah, yeah. They all like kind of look like uh you remember those those like parody movies where they had like <laughs> thumbs with faces on them, you know, acting out. They they all kind of look like that. I do not remember this, but yeah, I I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, th- this just feels like a weird evolution of a game that had already had better iterations on it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why they went to this. I don't know why they made this when, you know, around this era, there were already so many brawlers in arcades. I don't know who said, hey, 
let's go back and make something more like Renegade. I don't know who would have wanted that. Yeah, I really don't get it. And yeah, this game is is just like a weird evolutionary dead end. Like it's a different way to do a brawler. But uh, is it fun? Like at all? Not really. Because it does feel like a brawler in within the context of like a fighting game stage, if they had maybe doubled down on the fighting game aspect of it, like giving you a more fighting game like move set. Right. I think maybe you've got something there. Yeah, no, that would have been interesting, but that's not what they this did. This feels even more primitive than some of the other brawlers that were coming out around this time that just played more like brawlers. And like performance wise, it's also not great. It feels choppy. You know, I I can't see why you would intentionally want to make a game with this little going on in a genre that was already this well codified. So uh Going to the list here, uh, you said before we started recording that this was probably the worst brawler that we've played on the system so far, and I, I would have to agree with you. I, I can't think of a worse one. What is right now the lowest ranked, like, just straight up brawler that we've got? We've got Super Double Dragon at 50. There's got to be something lower down than that, right? You know, brawlers have been uh, an okay genre on the Super Nintendo so far. You know, several of them do rank in our our high echelons. That might be the lowest ranked one we've got is at number 50, which is pretty good. Yeah, I think we got to go way lower than that to find something that would be a reasonable comparison for this, unfortunately. So, you know, I'm looking at like we got Super Adventure Island way down at number 107, which seems kind of low. But then I remember like, oh, yeah, that game didn't really have a lot going for it. And like this game, it seems to be sort of going back to an era before there were more interesting things than we already had at the time this game came out. Yeah, yeah. But I might even say that I think that this is a worse brawler than Super Adventure Island is a sort of run-and-gun-ish platformer. I would agree with that, yeah. Okay, we got Uncharted Waters, which I at least thought was interesting in a way that Combat Tribes absolutely is not. What would you say is maybe the floor for this one, in your opinion? Oh, you know, I'm looking. You know, it, This probably goes below Super Ghouls and Ghosts at number 119, right? It probably does. I think probably Captain Novalin is this is the floor for this Ooh, that's a good call yeah like i think this is genuinely a pretty bad game and there are so many things on this list that i would recommend people play instead of instead of it but i think probably captain novelin is the first one where i'd be like if somebody was was considering playing it just as like a goof or even i'd be like well have you thought about the combat tribes you know, we've got um, Bulls versus Blazers NBA playoffs right above that. And oh, no, wait, I, actually, I thought this was NBA All-Star playoffs. It's not. That is a different game because I was almost going to say I, I could compare it to that one is like these are both, you know, kind of slight games. But I think NBA All-Star does what it's doing better. But that one's further up the list. I don't remember enough about Bulls v. Blazers NBA playoffs. Yeah, me either, actually. Wordtress is actually weirdly kind of a decent comparison for this, because it's also a thing where the thing that it is is extremely straightforward, and it you look at it and you go kind of like, well, why did you make it this way? Yeah. Do you think this goes above or below Wordtress? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I really hated that second boss fight in this game, like a lot. So I think I'd I think I think I'd put it below Wordtress because nothing in Wordtress annoyed me that much. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it's either above or below Volsby Blazers then at one thirty, and I 
I wish I could remember more of this game. I'll I'll give I'll give the combat tribes the edge over that. It's essentially a coin flip for me. So sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, frankly, me too. All right, so congratulations, the combat tribes. Uh, One thirty on our list now, far down there. One thirty of one sixty-five. So you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty rough. Also, uh, this game features yet another offensive Native American stereotype. Boy, that was a real blind spot for media in the early nineties, wasn't it? And just these, like, completely unexamined racial stereotypes about this group from, like, that that have been held since, since you know, the, the 1800s. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just keep using them. It's fine. Like, let's not, you know, mince words. This is still a, a horrible racist country with horrible people in it. I just don't think you'd see a mainstream product like this with that kind of stereotype for, for you know, uh, that kind of, of Native American stereotype made these days. It, it, it seems like even the well-meaning stuff was bad. It super was, yeah. They just did not get it right. And and I think some, some of that is based on just, like, people were going off of bad information and should have been checking multiple sources and weren't doing that. And <coughs> Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, let's not pretend that any of that is, is, you know, not still a problem, Kansas City. No, it's true. It's true. And hey, having said all that, I don't feel like we need a serious segment today. I feel like we've done a, <laughs> done our job <laughs> peppering our entire episode with our political views today. It's just one of those times. It, it happens. Uh, so I think that's more or less going to do it for us today. And uh, yeah, so so what um what's what's next episode going to look like? Uh, the next episode is going to look like uh, football. Uh, we're going to be playing a lot of American football next time. Uh, you know, actually, not that much American football. There's oh, not... you know, no, 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 a lot, lot of a lot of American football. Actually, oh. there's, I almost I almost looked at 1992 and I was like, oh, there's only three. Nope, there's there's Blah. six. Okay, yeah. Um, but you know, in, in all honesty, like. That is fine. We are just going to breeze through them. That's the whole point of these sports desk episodes. We don't have to do deep dives into them. We're just going to get them done. So it's fine. Actually, expect the next episode to be a little bit on the short side, I would say. Uh, And then after we do that, we get to do the more fun job of talking about a Nintendo Power issue is we will finally be getting into April of 1994 and we will finally be talking about the actual issue with Star Fox on the cover. Man, the final hurrah for Star Fox in Nintendo Power, I assume, being like a major part of it. Well, I mean, I think that comic's going to keep going all year, so... Oh, yeah, it does. But, like, I feel like it's just the magazine's been, you know, which I'm fine with, but, like, I feel like the magazine's been, like, really Star Fox heavy all year. But, I mean, given what we've been covering for the first chunk of 93... Uh, yeah, it's fair, right? It's been slim pickings otherwise, so... Yep, it's, uh, it's, it's really true, actually, so... And I love Star Fox. Y'all know I love Star Fox, but yeah. So so that'll be fun, though. I'm I'm excited to pl- to. Well, I'm not excited to play the uh, the football games, honestly. But I am excited to do another sports desk episode, and I am very much looking forward to do- digging into another Nintendo Power. Wait a minute. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. I've been saying football. Is this basketball? Is it? Is it basketball? Tecmo Super NBA Basketball. Okay, folks, change of plans. We're actually be talking basketball. I just saw a Tecmo Super there and assumed it was Tecmo Super Bowl. I forgot Tecmo made NBA games too around this time. You know what? I'm actually considerably more excited about that. Then. 
<laughs> I am too. So, okay. And actually, we've only got two of those. We've only This will be a breeze. This will be fun, actually. All um, right. So, okay. So forget absolutely everything I just said. I'm probably just going to leave it all in because uh, <laughs> I'm lazy. We'll be talking about Tecmo Super NBA Basketball and NBA Showdown next time. Uh, and my phone went off. This is all going off the rails. We better end this before, I don't know, my <laughs> my microphone explodes or something. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, until next time, I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steve Punklink. Play it loud. <laughs> Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. You're going to tell me kids in the 90s would not have bought a game called Martha Splatterhead? Come on. <laughs> that should have been a comic by Rob Liefeld right there. God, seriously. <laughs> An image original. Yes. Oh.